0: Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. We are launching a series this weekend that's going to go from now all the way through to a little bit into September. And we're focusing this on the book in the New Testament of 1 John. And it's actually not a book, it's a letter. But uh, we're focusing on going through that section by section. And so this is totally a time where you want, you're going to want to bring a Bible or have your Bible on your phone. Um, we had someone today who said... I'm going to see where he is. He said, I, I, I forgot my Bible and I forgot my phone. Um, and so if you don't have a Bible or a phone, um, either get a Bible from the back or snuggle up next to the person next to you. They will love that. It's nice and cool outside. So um, do that. Um, but this is going to be uh, a series talking, and the series title is With Feet on the Ground. Uh, how many of you have someone in your life right now who's very difficult to love? Can I please, yeah, just keep it quiet. It's, it's, some of you are like, no, nobody. Guess what? If you don't have anyone in your life that's difficult to love, the person in your life who's difficult to love, okay? And so just keep that, just know that. But most of us have people in our, in the, in our world that, that are difficult to love. And it's, it, perhaps it's the person in the row with you. Just don't look at them or point right now. The truth is, is that the, we all do. And the amazing thing about this book with Feet on the Ground, or the series that we're going through, is we're going to be seeing how John speaks to that. But as you're turning to 1 John chapter 1, let's take a look at just a little bit of backdrop on who this John guy is. When Jesus is calling the disciples, he does something with John. He only does—John and his brother James—he does only with one other person, and that's give them a nickname. How many of you grew up with a nickname? Okay, how many of you grew up with a nickname you didn't really like? I think that might have been this for John, because this is, the, this is the nickname he gives John and his, and his older brother James— James, the son of Zebedee and his kid brother John, to them he gave the name Bonergis, which, I mean, who would not love that nickname? But Bonergis, which means what? Sons of Thunder. Now, theologians and scholars have tried to spin this in the most positive way for 2,000 years. Like, Sons of Thunder, that means like zeal from the Lord, like fiery lightning bolts of passion for Jesus. But we actually have a clue to why Jesus gave this nickname to James and John. And, and we see it later on in the Gospels in Luke. Uh, they're going through Samaria, Jesus and the disciples, and this happens. But the people there in Samaria did not welcome him, Jesus. When the disciples, James and John, the sons of what? Sons of thunder, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Like, see, Jesus is like, Love your enemies. And this guy, these guys are like, you know that scene in Rares Lost Ark where there's... That's, can we do that, Jesus? Can we, do that, can we turn these guys into crispy critters? Phenomenal cosmic power! any little living space of your head. Because they dissed you. And, and you've got to imagine Jesus as they're looking and going, do you see, this is why I gave you that nickname. You didn't like it, but this is Why? These guys are fire, and for whatever reason, John is an individual that we see consistently being rather impulsive. Peter always gets that, that like uh, just gets shafted with that. But it really, we see that in John as well. John is the one who fights with his brother over who's going to be in the seat of, of, of position and power next to Jesus when Jesus brings in his kingdom. It's John who, who, who beats Pete to a, in a foot race to the empty tomb and then writes in the gospel to let everyone know, yeah, it was me who beat Peter, just, just for the record. It's John who consistently and, and, and throughout his lifetime shows up as this person who is a son of thunder, perhaps a guy who uses more colorful language, perhaps a guy who is more angry, but it is this guy who at the same time, even though he's maybe a little less stained glass and more next-door neighbor, he loves Jesus with all of his heart. He's described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's described as the one who Jesus, when Jesus is dying on the cross, makes sure that John takes care of his widow mother Mary. It's John, who the book of Galatians says is a pillar of the church. Uh, Someone who's who's a person who's who's a mover and a shaker. He's a church planter and a pastor. And he's an advocate, an angry advocate for the church and its purity. And he's the one who gives the church a vision of the future in the book of Revelation. A vision that actually says that in the midst of the chaos and the freaky weird things that are going on, uh, everyone is bringing against Christianity. You need to know in the end, this Jesus who died on the cross, this Jesus who I walked with, will make all things new. And so when, when we get to the letter of John, some people believe that the, the, the first, first, second, and third John, uh, that there were letters written to explain the gospel of John that he wrote, the gospel poetically describing the life of Jesus, that it was kind of like a, a commentary to come alongside it. Commentators um, are frustrated by how John writes in 1 John because he's like ADD all over the place. He's just like ping, 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 ping because there's a lot that he's talking about. The ESV Study Bible, I love this. This is so cool. It says, it says, speaking of John in 1 John, it says he wanders from subject to subject unencumbered by any discernible outline. Just free, free from outline or order or structure. Isn't that great? I love that as a teacher. He's unencumbered by any discernible outline but that he, it's because he had so much to say he had so much to say. This isn't a time where it's post temple Judaism. Okay, so for, for all this time, Jews have had a, a place where God established for them to bring a sacrifice to know that they're good. Between them and God, things are good. I brought the sacrifice to God in the temple. My sins are atoned for. But the temple's been destroyed and was never ever rebuilt after that point. So now you have all of these Jews who are saying listen, we've pushed away Jesus as the Messiah. But he talked about this. He talked about how the temple was going to be broken down. It was not even going to be necessary anymore because he was going to be the sacrifice. He was going to be the lamb that was slain and that we would be the temple. This is not only post-temple Judaism, but it's post-camp Christianity. How many ever went to like, uh, like some camp with a youth group? Okay. How many ha- it was pretty good time. Okay, I loved it. Every single camp, it was amazing. And at camp, I was like, things are going to change. My world would be different because of this experience that I've had. And I was so stoked. I'm at 5,000 feet in California, 1,000 pines. And I drove down 5,000 feet down to the South Bay to Torrance. And I realized something. Nobody in Torrance went to that camp. Like my parents didn't go to that camp. They were the same before. And they were still on my case about my room. And and the people at my school were just as messed up as before because they didn't go to that camp. I was in this post-camp camp reality check that even though this was very true, it was met with a whole lot of resistance back home in real life. You have a whole bunch of people who've experienced Jesus as as their Messiah, and things are different. Everything's going to change. And all of a sudden, they hit the reality check that the world is not as welcoming to this Jesus or this gospel as they anticipated. And not only that, they've been Christians around other Christians long enough to realize that Christians don't always agree. And all of a sudden, the church is starting to, like, have infighting. And on top of that, in the midst of the church comes this heresy. And, and one of the key heresies that John specifically is speaking to is Gnosticism. Gnosticism, a Gnostic would say, no, 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 we totally believe in Jesus. So we believe that Jesus is God. We told, in fact, we believe he's totally God. Like, 100%. 100% divine. And everything he said was 100% from, from God because Jesus is God. But they were Docetists. And docetism means it seems like. And so they said, as much as we believe that he is absolutely God, he looked like a human, he seemed like a human, but it was, like a, it was almost like Jesus was like a mirage, like a hologram. Like, like he looked like he was eating with you and twa- talking with you and looked like he was suffering on the cross. But that didn't happen. And the reason that these guys had such a hang-up about this was because they were Greek. And Greeks said, look... I'm a human and I know how messed up I am. I'm evil. And like every part of my body seems to like always be gravitating towards excess and, and impulse. I'm evil, I'm messed up. But the gods, the gods are perfect. The gods have like this divine quality about them. So you're telling me that Jesus is God. I can buy that. But the second that you say that God became man, like flesh, like legitimately flesh, I can't buy that. I can't believe that because we know flesh is evil. How could he do that? And all of a sudden, we see that John is addressing this. You want to know if you guys want to offend someone today? I know that you were looking for an opportunity, so here it is. There's three ways that you could offend someone today—real easy ways. First way that you can super duper uber uber offend someone today is this: talk about their family. It's great. Talk about their family and misrepresent their family. Like say something that is close to the truth, but just but but there's like some key ingredients you're leaving out or adding to who they are. Talk about their family. Or um, figure out who their friends are and misrepresent their friends. Or talk about their faith and misrepresent that. Those are three key ways to seriously and severely offend someone. And John is saying, You guys have crossed all three lines with Jesus. This Jesus who is, was like a brother to me, this Jesus who, who is my friend, and this Jesus who is my Savior. He's not a mirage. He's the Messiah. In fact, as much as the Gnostics wanted to to make Jesus out to be someone who is just all God and just kind of like this hovery-dovery, like angelic, perfect person who, who, who never experienced any type of physicality, John would affirm the side of the fact that he was, in fact, God. But John said, yeah, but he was also simultaneously man, all God and all man. And that is a major deal changer. Jesus was, in fact, God with feet on the ground. And if you actually get your theology about this right, and John's point is because your theology is jacked up in this area, it's messing up your relationships with everybody else inside the church and out. Because you're off in your theology, you have a messed up love. If you wanted to kind of summarize John, the the letter of 1 John, it was this. If you really experience the God-man Jesus, your belief will lead to a fusion of life choices and obedience that will be hallmarked by love. There's absolute, pragmatic, practical differences in the way that you treat others, especially those who are hard to love. There's a difference in the way that you engage truth, if your theology is right about who Jesus is, the fact that he was all God and simultaneously all man, which brings us to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. We really should focus on the first three verses We'll get to the other two verses uh, next week. But we're going to just focus on the first verse as a, as a way of introduction. And so with your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. This John, this son of thunder, opens up his letter this way. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched... This we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is the word of the Lord, please be seated. John drops a C4 statement in that line that, that as, as most of us, as we read through this, we just browse over and the word that he uses is word. That word, logos is a big deal. And it's, it's so cool that he starts first John that way because if you looked in the gospel of John, where he's poetically accounting for Jesus's life, Look how he starts the very first line of that book. In the beginning was the, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Cueing everyone into, I'm not just describing Logos, I'm describing Logos being Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Verse two, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. The thing that's so cool about that word logos was that it meant something so significant. Like John is describing right there, he's talking about the the very Hebrew concept of creation itself and saying, that was Jesus. Because for the Hebrew um, audience, the concept of word was that God created everything by his breath, by his own words. He brought things into being that way. And so for the Jewish crowd, the creative self-expression of God, word meant the creative self-expression of God by which the universe came into existence. But but again, John is writing in Greek, and the Greeks had a totally, uh, kind of an alternate perspective on what logos meant. For them, and Philo kind of gives us more of an accounting of this, the Greek crowd would say more, uh, the word is like the divine reason that gives the universe coherence and purpose. It's like, it's it's logical. It's not just like this myth that we want to like attach ourselves to or a meme that we can kind of make us feel better about the day. It's, it's It's hard and fast truth. It's like you could bank on it. It's something that's rational and reasonable and, and something that, you, that, that is logical. It, ha- it makes sense. Now, this is key that John is saying, this is Jesus. Jesus is this, because what he's saying is this. You live in darkness where things are broken and in need of God's hand. You know what? He brought this world into being out of nothing. You're experiencing devastation right now. He is the one who, when he gets his fingerprints on a situation— can bring to it something that could not be otherwise. And not only that, into the chaos of our life, into the brokenness of this world, he's able to speak purpose and coherence even when the chaos and the brokenness and the pain seem to not dissipate. The word, Jesus, the God-man who came here and set us up with the ability to follow his lead. And if this is true, then we're able to love people in our world who are very difficult to love. Let me show you what I mean. Um, we're going to go ahead and do something that I've only done a couple of times because it's sketchy and it's a little bit risky, but you're an advanced crowd, so we're going to do this, all right? I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to point to you as a section. We have four sections here. And when I point to you, I want you to, with enthusiasm, con gusto, I want you to say the word that's on the screen, okay? All right? So let's, you guys are the first ones. I know this is... Are you nervous? I'm nervous for you. I mean... <laughs> All right, so I'm going to point to you, and you guys, w- with enthusiasm, say trustworthy. Usually, I usually just use one-syllable words because it's easier. But again, this is varsity-level crowd. We're, we're, we're totally good. Ready? Trustworthy. Okay, come on now. That was pretty good. All right. Now, you did it good then, but you got to watch it because every once in a while, I'll just do this. Trustworthy. You're the only one who got it. Okay, so ready? Trustworthy. Okay, good. Now, the next section, you guys are not saying trustworthy. You are going to say this. You guys are going to say partnership, right? Partnership. Okay, so let's try this again. Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Errol McFadden is? Thank you. All right. Partnership. partnership. Okay, good job. M80s, alcohol, bad? You're right. Okay, moving on. This group right here. You guys, I know it's two words, I know. But they're single-syllable words. So, okay, I'm gonna point you and I need you to say really loud with enthusiasm, live out. One, two, three. Live out. Okay. No. Okay, woo! All right, good job. All right, so, okay, now get ready. Trustworthy, partnership, live out. Excellent, and you, oh man. <laughs> you are the only group of all day that the third section was the best so far. But you guys, you guys can catch up. All right, this last group, you guys are gonna say this when I point to you. Ready, here we go. Reasonable. Okay, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, okay. Reasonable. Okay, now you're ready, right. You're ready. Uh, Pastor Dave wants to start a new career as a dancer. He wants to. Live that. that dream, and that is incredibly un. Reasonable. Okay, good job. Now, here's what we're going to do. In this world, all we want to do is. Live a happy life. We want a life that makes sense, and that seems pretty. But well, we got a big problem. The problem is, is that life is wonky. That things are like happiness is fleeting and flaky. It's here and then it's gone, and, and it's all over the place. And, and because of that, we we need to center ourselves on something. And so we figure out a way. And this is our plan. We are going to yeah. a Friendship. with others. We're going to have a Friendship. with a relationship. We're going to have a Friendship. maybe with our kids. We're going to have a Friendship. with work because these things give us value and worth and significance. The problem is, is that sometimes this partnership becomes unreasonable, and the reason it's unreasonable, the reason that it's unreasonable, is because oftentimes the people are Trust-free. or un. Trust-free. In fact, the problem with people is that oftentimes they're un. Trust-free. Okay, so all of a sudden we realize that we have an un. With people, because people just like us are broken. But we get ourselves into a place like, okay, scrap that. We're going to go with a different plan. Plan B. We're going to yeah. a different plan. Our is going to not be with other people, but our is going to be with the partnership of one. It'll be us. We will be the ones that we are relying ourselves on. But the thing is, is that just like other people, we're broken, and we could be incredibly un. Reasonable. And some of us are really un but all of us are incredibly un trust. and that's the thing that gets us. It's one thing to lose heart and be jaded because other people are not worthy of trust, but we realize that we're not. When I realize I can't trust myself And i fall into the same habits and the same problems. And I said, make the same mistakes over and over again. I all of a sudden become really, really jaded and over time bitter. And I realized there is no way for me to experience the happiness that God has called me to be. But the thing is that John gives a different solution. John says that we need to a that's not built and based around people, a that's not even built and based around ourselves or our ability to do great stuff. We have a that we're able to, that's centered around Christ. Look back to that passage that we just read. He starts off with this, that which was from the beginning. John is saying this, you are not a part of a fad or a phase if you're a Christian. You are actually connecting yourself with somebody who is trustworthy because he is from the beginning, So long before you were born, long before your country had the issues it had, long before your work had the issues it had, long before your family had the issues you had, you had a—you were connected with a Savior who was before all of that. And so you're entering into this tragedy, this pain, this difficulty, or even the difficulty of loving this person, actually, it was someone that's trustworthy. You don't have the resources— you feel to handle the problems at hand? You don't feel like you have the resources to handle the people at work, the people in your family, the friends that you have? You may be right. Embrace that, but you know someone who does. Because this Jesus, according to John, he's from the beginning, he's trustworthy. But not only that, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, he's not just a philosophy. He is not merely a religion that you believe in. He's someone you walk with. He is actually in partnership with you. Jesus did not say, I'm going to text you some how-tos on how to deal with life and avoid sin. God recognized our absolute distance from him and he intersected the timeline of history to come into our lives and to be here in the flesh. All God, all man, and perfect Ultimately, becoming the perfect sacrifice for us, but walking with disciples who had a chance to record what they saw. Right now, today, John is communicating this to 2018 people that you, in the midst of all the stuff you're going through, are not alone. You're actually in partnership with someone who is incredibly trustworthy. And on top of that, he says this this we proclaim, which means that we respond to this truth. It's not academic. It's not like, I, I agree with Jesus. I agree with God. It's that this truth actually leads to action. If, if you believe in Jesus, but it's leading to zero action in your life, where you're actually not living anything out, maybe you've never met Jesus. Because Jesus transforms people. See, God became man, and he walked amongst us, and he died on the cross, and he rose again, and he did something inside of us by by us being rescued from our sin that enables us to follow his lead and live it out. This we proclaim, we respond to it. And then he drops that C4 statement there at the end concerning the word of life. Yes, Greeks, this is logical. It seems like it's fantasy. It seems like just another one of the religions or myths out there, but it's not. This faith is in fact, with God's truth, reasonable. It makes sense. It's the puzzle piece that black and white fits everything together. What you have been missing is, in fact, Jesus. Even though what Christ calls us to do, and even those Christ calls us to love, seems unreasonable at the time, even though our bitterness or our anger or our rage seems more rational at the time, we actually have a more reasonable path to follow. And that reasonable, logical path is the example of Christ. He is, in fact, this. And so let's put this all together, folks. Jesus is the Needed to Faith Jesus is He is He is the trustworthy partnership Needed to live out reasonable faith And if you've been trying to make your faith work Based on your actions Or you're following the example of a really great Grandmother or, or friend or whatever That's a Christian that, that, Nothing wrong with looking to them as examples But Jesus is our ultimate example And John keeps bringing us back to the truth this Jesus, this God and man, he is here. He is with us. And if that is actually your reality, it's a game changer for your everyday life and the ability to love others. And let me just give you one example. We have some Barangas here. Um, yesterday, I had the, the pleasure and the privilege to, to perform the ceremony for Hannah Baranga and Michael Karzner. And, and, and the thing, I guess they're both now Karzners now, right? That's how it works. Um, the, the thing that's so cool is watching Hannah from, from high school on, from like 360 on, and just watching her interact, and then, and then now getting a chance to get to know her, her husband. But when we were going through premarital counseling and just listening to their story, one of the things that I like to do um, with a, a couple before performing their ceremony is finding out, you know, what is it that you want to communicate in this ceremony? Like for me, a non-negotiable is as I'm going to talk about the gospel. The fact that the reason that this is amazing, this couple, is not just because people fall in love. People fall in love every day. People fall out of love every day. The reason that this is unique is because it's a picture of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did. And I want to make sure that gets out there. But I want to know what's, what sense, what's on the, the couple's heart. And it was so cool to hear Hannah express her perspective on this. And her perspective was on a savior who's a trustworthy savior because he's from the beginning. This is the thing. They didn't want the picture just to be, Michael loves Hannah, Hannah loves Michael, they're gonna get married and, and have kids and have, fulfill the American dream. Okay, we, we, we know that story. Their story wanted to be far more ancient, far more sacred, and far more significant and practical. This is their story. They wanted to connect their love story to the fact that in eternity past, before, any human was created, you had the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who were complete. In their completion, before humanity was created, before any any cell was devised uh, and, and crafted, they, you have the Trinity that is an eternity past, perfectly expressing love, complete, submitting, serving, glorifying, experiencing perfect love, and if that's part of your theology, understand that Jesus is in fact from the beginning and that's true before humanity, then you realize that God didn't create humans to get something out of us. God didn't create humans because like, I just need someone to love me. I mean, that's manipulative and maniacal. But instead, you have a picture of a God who is complete in perfect love, creating humans not to get love, but to give it. Hannah was going into this marriage wanting people to know that her posture is is that today I love this man, but there may be days that that's difficult. There may be days that I don't want to. There may be lots of days I don't like him. But I am connected to a love that goes from eternity past. I'm completed not by Michael's love. I'm completed by Christ's. And if that love completes me, I'm full. That means that if Michael decides not to love me the way that he should... Like a good husband should, and, get, and folks, Michael won't, then I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose. that. Listen, until he mans up and starts to love me the way God calls me to, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue to love him out of the overflow of being loved by the perfect, with the perfect love of Christ. That means that I'm not in a posture where I will love you as long as you love me. I will respect you as long as you respect me. But the second you stop respecting me, I'm going to become a son of thunder. As soon as you stop loving me, it's over. As soon as you disappoint me, guess what? I'm going to disappoint you. That pattern is, it's a tired pattern. And everybody knows it. But Hannah and Michael were saying that in this marriage, we want to connect it with the Savior. The same Savior John wrote about. The Savior who is from the beginning who's trustworthy, and he's a partner. He's along with them. And he gives them the ability to live out the life that he's called them to, which again may seem unreasonable in the time. Bitterness always feel, seems more reasonable. Rage, always more reasonable. But love, that's divine. That's only reflected from a savior who showed a people who didn't deserve it. You and me, love that we didn't deserve and yet gave it to us anyway in grace. If you haven't seen this movie, you really should. Um, one of my favorite movies uh, is Lincoln uh, by Spielberg, Sp- and Daniel Day-Lewis does a phenomenal job of portraying him. And, and one of the things that they, when they, after, uh, when they're doing the media circuit uh, promoting the movie, they looked at Daniel Day-Lewis, who no longer had a beard, he's not in the costume or anything else, and they're saying, so how was, how was working on this, on this particular project? And he said, it was one of the most important things I've ever done in my life. He said, and the reality is, regarding Lincoln, I miss him. I miss his words. For that period of time as they were shooting that film, he had those words echoing through his brain, coming out of his lips, occupying his mind. And because he's a method actor, he's all in on becoming like Lincoln. And he said that now walking past it, when the reality checker coming back into the everyday life hits him, it's like, I miss him. You know, the thing is that when, I, when, I, when we read John's writings, we kind of get a same sense. This, this Jesus was not just a belief. He was a friend. But the thing is, is that John doesn't have to say, I miss his words. Because John can say, Jesus is the word. And he has not left me. He is with me now. And he walks with me through the ups and downs of this life. And if this Savior is, in fact, not a mirage, but is my Messiah, and he's someone who is God and man, and he gets me, and that means that what I'm going through right now is not in isolation, and those God has called me to love, even though difficult, even though trying, that these people are individuals, that I can, with his help, walk in and actually take those steps. See, the thing is is that John describes the love of God as being light, coming in and lighting up an area. You need a God that's more than just believing in. You need a God that's more than just a theology that you can academically concur with. You need a God who can walk alongside you, who has, who understands you, who when he calls you to love the unlovable, he can speak from experience that he's done that. We are a church that want to see the love. The love of Christ that's been expressed to us be expressed to others. To let the light from him not just stop here, but enter into the darkness. When we come to a point of remembering what that's all about, we, we come to the Lord's Supper. As a church, we do this once a month. And what, when we've taken the Lord's Supper, what we're reminding ourselves of is this. We're reminding ourselves of the fact that Christ accomplished for us, what we could not accomplish on our own. We experience this in community because folks, we need each other. Every one of you has come into this room with a different story. You know what this past week has been like for many of you. This past week, we have a, we've, our church has experienced death, heartache, relational carnage where things just exploded in, in a relationship, disappointments, victories, celebrations, the best of times. And each one of us is walking into this room needing to be reminded of the thing that our life is centered around and the reality that our life is not centered around any of those people or even ourselves, but around Christ and his work in us. The thing that makes us complete, that brings peace in the midst of chaos, that could take the darkness of lack of creation and speak creation into it is Christ, the word. The bread represents his body, the cup, his blood. just a moment here, I'm going to encourage you to exit your rows on the left-hand side, to go to the front and the back, to go all around each of the table, to take the bread and the cup, and return to your seats. Listen to the song that Kirk is playing, that Carlos is going to sing, about the reality of what Jesus does, and then we're going to give you some time, just a brief period of time for you to do business with God. If you come into this room and your heart is heavy, Spend this time communing with your Savior who knows. If you come into this room and there's sin this past week that has been plaguing you and you know it, and you're so tired of it, and as a Christian, you just want to let it go. Let it go. If you come into this room and you're not a Christian, well, this table is only for those who've been washed by the forgiveness of Christ, accomplished by his blood on the cross. But you can take that step today. You could recognize I'm done being the one who's my own savior, my own destiny designer. I'm gonna be the one who actually surrenders to a savior I've never seen with my eyes and put my hope in an event that took place 2000 years ago that still speaks into the lives of others, the death and the resurrection of Christ. If you surrender and you put your trust in him, you trust in him over even your own ability to be a good person, And this morning, you cross over from death to life. That's a celebration. That's awesome. That actually has also happened this past week where we've seen people who've come to know Jesus and they consider themselves a follower of Jesus as of Wednesday of last week. So today, let's celebrate the reality and the event that took place that accomplished that for us. Exit your rows on the left-hand side, go around both sides of the table, take the elements back, and spend some time doing business with God.